the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. Dear New York Times. It's me, Karl Marx. Thank you so much for article wishing me happy birthday. Have to say, 135 years, I've been boiling here in the bowels of hell. Sololinsky sends his regards. I cannot accept accolades you have provided. While your piece is fairly written well, it does contain weird tangents and a fanboy approach, especially considering the death toll of my, quote, philosophy has accrued roughly 150 million. It's actually far more than that. Believe me, I've talked to Mao and Stalin. Those guys are crazy. Let's talk about title. Happy birthday, Karl Marx. You were right. I find the inclusion of your exclamation mark a bit much. No? I mean, what happened to old New York Times, which was respectful? You emerged from early days of Penny Press, fostered impressive career, I saw. We denizens of hell absolutely adore the divisive uh, tactics and unabashed elitism you develop over years. Lucifer himself loves reading hateful Trump articles on account of all the money he's helped you make and all. But let's talk about author, Mr. Jason Borker. He's an English-born associate professor of philosophy at University of South Korea. First, he's done wonderful work keeping my work relevant with his expertise in post-Marxism. And all the time I spent worrying that capitalism had ruined it for me. Well, not me. I actually loved capitalism, privately, because it's what allowed me to have a lifelong freeloader about ideas like haves and have-nots can't believe you people actually believe this stuff. I did not like Mr. Baker's alternative history novel, Mark's Returns, which pretends to watch my process during composition of Dos Capital. My screed against capitalism, slightly more subtle than the Communist Manifesto. Boy, I had great laughs with those two. Lost count of how many cigars and bottles of expensive wine I had while writing those. Oh, good times. They don't come back. Most important, I would like to thank you, New York Times, for so shamelessly selling your soul on my behalf. I only hope you have a long-term plan, because I can tell you personally, the whole communist thing does not end well. Sincerely, Karl Marx. It's Tuesday, May 1st. This is the Glenn Beck Program. 
Nice job on the scribbling there, Stu. It's... Thank you. I realize my hand gets really tired when I write yeah. now. <laughs> you should write that. You should hold that up. If you're watching on uh, the Blaze TV, you can see the scribbles. And and that makes as much sense as most of Karl Marx's <laughs> writings. It really does. Yes. Thus, thank you so much, uh, New York Times. What do you say? A little bit more bloodshed? That's really the headline, by the way. Happy birthday, Karl Marx. You were right. From the New York Times. <laughs> ah, that's great. That's great. That's great. That's where we are. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Oh, by the, the way. best part of that, by the way, it's behind the paywall if you want to read it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I don't know exactly how that works. So here's what's, uh, here's what's really interesting is uh, Karl Marx is making a big comeback now. Uh, let me give you this. Safeway. That's a grocery store in the Pacific Northwest, and I think a lot of the West. Safeway, Safeway warns Seattle new employment tax could turn neighborhoods into actual food deserts. Now, Stu, mm-hmm. do you remember the report we did on food deserts when uh, Barack Obama said, you're living in a food desert? Yeah, I did a whole series uh, called Deserted. Mm-hmm. Um, in which we investigated communities that have absolutely no access to uh, to food, mm-hmm. which was interesting because all of the places we looked at had multiple, not just one, but multiple grocery stores in mm-hmm. them. Yeah, but they um, didn't have a place you could get a salad. Oh, yes, they did. Really? Uh, huge produce departments. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, thousands okay. and thousands of options mm-hmm. for fresh foods and vegetables. Well, apparently those who care about food deserts no longer care about food deserts because Karl Marx is right. New employment tax, which has been proposed by the Seattle City Council, Mm. will charge roughly $500 per employee based in the city. Although it would only apply to the city's largest companies, you know, the ones that provide all of the jobs. Uh, Many of them are complaining to the press, some with good reason about how the tax would discourage employment and ultimately damage the city's economy. What could possibly go wrong? The tax is only going to apply to businesses earning $20 million in revenue within the city limits, a group that includes 585 companies, 585 companies. Businesses would be required. Can you just get out your calculator here, Stu? Businesses would be required to pay 26 cents per man hour. Okay. For every employee that works within the city limits, excluding vacation pay and sick time. So let's make that uh, 26 times 40. 40 hours. Times what? 50 weeks? 50, yeah. Two weeks of vacation. So that should be about 500. How much is it? 520. $520. Okay. Now let's just say Amazon. Seattle's one of Seattle's, if not biggest employers, you know, in the in the top five. Mm hmm. Uh, they, they only have 45,000 employees in Seattle. <laughs> okay. So times 45,000. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's going to be a little, that's a hefty tax. Okay. That's the tax that Amazon has to pay every single year for employing people in Seattle. 23 million million. So they can afford it because remember, this only applies to businesses earning $20 million in revenue. 
That's now, true. that's not profit. That's revenue. So that means that's they sell all their stuff. They have to make at least $20 million. Then you get that tax. That's amazing. Um, because one thing you know about taxation is when you tax something, you get less of it. That's what you. That's what the point of it no, is. No, no, many. no, no, like, no, no, no. For example, no, no, a, no, a vice no. tax like cigarettes, no. alcohol, right? No. Why do you tax those things? You Why do tax they go them because you want more people to smoke. No, that's the opposite of what you do. In theory, mm-hmm. you tax it so less people will smoke. It'll be more difficult to afford it. So then why why are we taxing marriage so high? Because we have we have that marriage tax I've heard of. <laughs> Here oh, is Oh wait a minute. Oh no, we give you a break for marriage. Cuz theoretically, huh. you're trying to encourage it. Encourage at least that was the thought marriage. at one point. <laughs> huh. But here is employment. So you're now taxing people extra for hiring more people. Which again, like, so it would make more sense, for example, to give a a small raise to an employee to take on double the work, right, than to hire an extra person. Mm -hmm. Put those people, you want to lower, you want to, for example, great argument for automation. Great argument. Why wouldn't I replace a, a, a worker with a robot when they're going to charge me an extra $500, I could take well, that $500, I'm going to pay the employee anyway, that's extra, and put it towards the robot. Well, I will tell you, Europe is ahead of us on this. Oh, okay. They're already, they're already, they already have a robots or people to tax. <laughs> that's not a thing. <laughs> they, they already have done that. So if you replace somebody with a robot, you have to pay the, you have to pay the tax on that. And that is one of their goals, is to make that common. And I will tell you that you'd still pay it because it's cheaper to have a robot than it is to have a human being. Seattle is, Seattle is suicidal. Everything on the West Coast is just suicidal. From California, Oregon, to, to, uh, to uh, the Canadian border. It's just on fire. <laughs> it's just, the, it's the, it's, Karl Marx was right. You know, idiots everywhere. Useful idiots. Jonah Goldberg's new book is called Suicide of the West. It's not exactly what he meant. Meaning yeah, like but it, <laughs> he meant Seattle. Yeah, <laughs> but it is. It is kind of what he meant. It's, how, how, do you, how do you stay open for business? Oh, and yeah, this is, of course. Foxconn just built that or is just uh, breaking ground on that new um, plant up in, where is it, Wisconsin? And that's because Why? Because Scott Walker gave them like a $3 billion tax break. That's why they're in Wisconsin. Not because they love the cheese. <laughs> they're there because of the tax break. You want to attract people? Why is, why is Boeing? Why, why is it they're not running corporate headquarters out of Seattle anymore? Because everybody else gave them tax breaks. What do you, you think that... Oh, we're just so special. We're just so special. They're just going to keep. They're just going to keep building. No, they won't. They're going to find places that are nice places to live, and won't tax them to death. Why do you think? Why do you think Texas is growing and everywhere else is shrinking? It's true. I mean, remember the the New York plan uh, that. Uh, that they were running for a while. I don't know if it's still going on, 
but it was like, move your business to New York and you don't have to pay taxes for like eight years. <laughs> Why don't you just have a sensible tax rate? You have to, to lure people there, you have to give them zero for a long time. Instead, why not just make your business environment rational? But this is the problem. I mean, you know, I mean, they all know it. When it comes down to it, they all know it. When it comes down to it, you know what they really want? Solar panels. You know what they really want? Electric cars. And what do they do? They throw tax incentives at them. They all know if they want more of something, you take the taxes of punishments away. Yet in places like Seattle, they still go down these roads. They know what the effect is. Everyone knows what the effect is. If you, What are they doing with a soda tax? They're raising a soda tax. Of course, it's to make money, but it's also, in theory, to get people to uh, drink less soda, right? They're trying to punish that behavior. And what they're doing in Seattle and so many places around the country is trying to punish the employer for hiring people. It's insane. But again, they spend so much money. They go. They promise so many things to their, to their left-wing voters. And when it comes down to it, they have no way to pay for any of it. And this cycle continues. I mean, how are they going to, how, if without this tax, how are they going to buy all of those tents that those 45,000 employees are going to have to live in? <laughs> all right, I want to talk to you about Mother's Day. Moms are the absolute greatest. Um, even some of the crappy ones are pretty good. Uh, it's an interesting Mother's Day sell there. Well, you know, I mean, moms, I mean, I hate to say, you know, I, I mean, I had a I had a great mom. But I, as I get older, I'm kind of like, eh, did I? I mean, you know what really, you know what really turns me, you know, what turns me around on my on my mom on whether she actually loved me is rice pudding. I love rice pudding. I never had rice pudding before. I never had. I had rice and raisins. We grew up on rice and raisins. My mom would make instant rice, and then she'd pour milk on it, and she'd put some cinnamon on it, and she'd throw some raisins in it. There you go. When I said to my my wife, Tanya, I said, hey, uh, have you ever had rice and raisins? She's like, no. And I said, she said, how do you make it? And I said, you know, you put it in, and you just stir it with the milk and stuff. And she said, that's rice pudding. And I said, no, that's something different. She said, no, you just cook it longer. And I'm like, my mom, she was like, yeah, he's worth a treat, but not all that time. Right. I mean, that's just way too much effort for him. Anyway, um, but I'd still, I'd still love her and, uh, and, and she's worth celebrating. Mother's Day is right around the corner. It's not this Sunday. It's the next Sunday. And 1-800-Flowers.com uh, will help you get ahead of the Mother's Day rush. 1-800-Flowers.com. They're giving you the exclusive 30 for 30 offer. That's 30 assorted tulips for $30 with bright, beautiful yellow, orange, and pink blossoms. They're assorted tulips guaranteed to make mom smile. Assorted tulips are the perfect way to surprise all of the moms in your life, your wife, your aunt, your sister, your grandmother, even though they're not my mother. I don't know how guys are roped into this. You're not. Hey, for all the dads in your life, no, you. Ugh. Hallmark has destroyed our country. Anyway, 30 assorted tulips for only $30, and it's an amazing offer. 
It expires today. So pick your delivery date. 1-800-Flowers will handle the rest. Don't put it off. Do it now. Order the 30 stunning uh, uh, stunning assorted tulips for only $30. 1-800-Flowers.com. 1-800-Flowers.com. Click on the radio icon and enter the promo code back. 30 for 30 ends today. 1-800-Flowers.com. Promo code back. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. So yesterday, I'm in the office and I'm uh, working on the uh, Mercury One Museum uh, that is going to open uh, here in the studios for just three days, June 15th. That's a Friday, June 15th through Sunday, June 17th. Uh, and uh, this year, it's about the rights and responsibilities. And uh, yesterday, I'm like, you know, we need a guillotine. We need a rack. We need, you know, the gallows or something like that, because I want to start it with tyrants, kings, uh, and bloodbaths. What the world was like before people recognized that men had certain inalienable rights. And so I, I, all day yesterday, I'm like, where do I get a guillotine? I mean, I need a rack. Where, where, where are we going to find somebody who has a rack? Hey, does anybody have a guillotine we can borrow? I mean, a real one. It's the type of thing that gets you thrown in prison yeah. asking that question. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Uh, and, and so yesterday afternoon, Suzanne from Mercury One writes, and she said, uh, there's this guy, Glenn. He's, he has one of the largest collections of, uh, you know, uh, torture devices from the medieval times from from Spain, from the Inquisition, and from England, from the witches, and everything else. And I'm like, does he have a guillotine? <laughs> it was the most bizarre thing ever that out of the blue, this guy writes, the same day I'm like, you know what, we need to get a guillotine. Mm. We, need, we need some torture devices. What does this say about you? I don't know. Like the idea yeah. that people are just like, I've got an extra guillotine, let me call Glenn. Yeah, I know. Well, he's had this, he put this mm. whole thing together. Um, and, uh, now I guess he's looking for a place to house it or something. And, and, uh, Ripley's believe it or not is, is into it. And I'm not, I mean, I think he's a more serious individual. He doesn't, you know, it's not like, Hey, look at this. This isn't this cool. Hey, let's go see the guillotine. I think, you know, he, he's a little more serious. <laughs> That's what happens at Ripley's. Yeah, I like, think so. People. I think so. You're like, <laughs> all right, we just saw, we just, we just saw the Alamo. Let, let's go see a guillotine. <laughs> no, that's how people... So people just sound like that when they walk through the yeah, doors. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, they do. They do. Well, I believe that. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm not going to believe. Believe it or not, I believe. <laughs> okay, so anyway. Um, uh, right. So anyway, so so if... I don't know if we can borrow his torture stuff, but if you happen to have a guillotine, and I mean a real one, I don't mean a magic guillotine or one that you've just built... I don't know who collects these things, but uh, we need it for the opening of our uh, of our museum this year. For uh, this year is going to be really spectacular, really spectacular. So you're soliciting for guillotines. I I am, mm-hmm. but real authentic ones, of course. Yeah, of course. I want to show the difference between the American Revolution and the French Revolution with the guillotine. 
And I also want to show, uh, because we just, we just purchased something. Uh, we have the letter to Benjamin Franklin from Thomas Paine. You would love this. After he writes, uh, you know, his, uh, his treatise on, on God, Franklin excoriates him. And he's like, no, 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 I believe in God. That's not what I'm saying. I'm trying to get the French to understand the God. Uh, God. Mm. History's all upside down. We have the original letter. You'll see that in the Mercury Museum. Mercury1.org slash museum 2018. Is the Glenn Beck program. We have an amazing program for you today. Michael Matt, he is the editor of the Remnant newspaper. Um, that's a Catholic newspaper. He is a guy who I, I wanted to talk to because there's a couple of things going on with the Pope that concern me and concern, honestly, many Catholics that I know. For instance, uh, the Pope is 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 playing footsie with the, the the Chinese and he is destroying the underground church which is essential for Catholicism or for Christianity to make it that the the Catholic Church the underground church is really important in China and he's dismantling it uh, and he's also starting to cozy up with Russia uh there's a couple of other things um last weekend he came out and said hey let's get rid of all of our weapons it's it's an interesting it's going to be an interesting conversation uh also william uh friedkin bill friedkin is the guy who directed um the exorcist he now says i should have done that differently because I really didn't know much about it, he has gone out with a a real life exorcist uh, and and has gone through several exorcisms. He's got a new movie out, um, and he says the real thing is absolutely terrifying. Um, we have him on the Devil and Father Amorth. It uh, was released, I think, on Friday. I have not seen it yet, but I've seen several interviews with him, and it's a, it's kind of bizarre. So we have that coming up uh, today as well. Let's spend a few minutes talking about Benjamin Netanyahu and what he did last night, 8 p.m. Uh, Jerusalem time, where he gave a speech to the country and the world. He started it in Hebrew, and then he said in Hebrew, I'm going to, say the rest of this in English for the rest of the world. He made quite a presentation and I, I don't know exactly what this means. Jason Petrill is with us. He is um, our uh, lead researcher and also military affairs and uh, foreign affairs. Welcome to the program. Thank you. So I'm reading stories last night on this and it's story after story after story with headlines like Benjamin Netanyahu gives a bizarre presentation saying Iran is cheating on the nuclear deal. Uh, Israel is stomping on Iran, and it could bring one of the worst wars the Middle East has ever seen. 
nowhere in here is a story that is actually talking about what he said and how dangerous Iran really is. Iran never shares the culpability in any of this. This was so amazing to me. It's always Israel's fault. And I, I like how it's, it's hilarious. They, they call this a bizarre presentation and how he switched from Hebrew into English. Well, the reason is, is because people in Israel, they already know this information mm-hmm. and they've been screaming at us in the West, all of Europe, all of the United States to say, look, you're being misled, You're being duped. So they know that they had to switch that into English because that we have been duped. We were duped by Ben Rhodes, the Obama administration. They were doing this for, you know, about two years trying to get this thing through, and they weren't telling us the truth. That is the entire reason for this. Now, all the um, uh, pro-nuke deal uh, people are saying this morning that, look, hey, you know, uh, yeah, this is all true. We knew this information. All this information was already out there. What's funny is the Iranians at the same time are saying, no, this is bull. This is all, like, false. Well, no, this is true. All of this stuff, Project Ahmad, which uh, Netanyahu was talking about yesterday was the the project, the military project to develop uh, weapons grade nuclear weapons and the weapons grade nuclear weapons. So, you know, um, he described a weapon that he claims they now have. Right. That is a missile that the it is tipped with enough firepower that it is three or four times the size of the Hiroshima bomb. Correct. And but he he doesn't say that they actually have it. He said that they have the schematics and everything basically done, all the research done. They the basically the actual plans and schematics are sitting there. And they went to great to, lengths to preserve the knowledge too when they were supposed to destroy it. Right. And so and so the, now we're getting into information that we didn't know. So we knew all of that information already about Project Ahmad and all that stuff, even though nobody in the West reported on it, neither in Europe or the United States. No one reported on that. Um, but the information that we didn't know was that this, all this, all these schematics, all these plans and everything were being held in secret specifically to re-release at a time or to initiate at a time of their choosing. Now that's huge. And a lot of people are not talking about that, but basically that was one of the reasons why Netanyahu and the Israelis did not like this deal because it was like a 10 year deal. Um, it, it, there was no uh, guarantees that it was going to be re-upped at the end of it. It was basically kicking the can down the road. But if that is if that is their plan, then literally within I think we're about maybe seven years to go or something like that, they can instantly start creating those uh, those missiles, those nuclear tip missiles that you were just talking about. Instantly, they could start producing them. Now, at the same time, what is happening? What the other thing that we did not address in the deal was the um, the aggressiveness of the Iranian regime right now. They have moved all the way into Syria. On Sunday, there was another attack. We are having kinetic Israeli on Iranian conflicts. They've been going on for weeks now. I think there's been over 100 of those attacks in the past few months. You'd never hear about them. On yeah. Sunday, like I said, over 20 Israelis were killed in an Israeli F-15 uh, strike inside western Syria. Western Syria, not eastern. Like, we're getting closer and closer to the Golan Heights. Wait, who was killed? 20... 20- over 20 uh, Iranians. Okay, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, you think you said Israelis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's uh, that's kind of a big deal. You think that would, little that would make a little bit of news? You get the Golan Heights. It's it's over for it's it's over for Galilee and in all of that part that that Christians, you know, know and visit and, you know, hold holy. It that's all gone. When you're up above, if you've ever stood on the cliff of the Golan Heights, you look down into, I can't remember the city, but there's no way to defend it. I mean, except for superior air power. 
but there's no way to defend it. They can shoot, they can kill, they can bomb, they can they can do anything to you. The Golan Heights strategically are extraordinarily important. It's so critical to look at both Iran and North Korea in a similar light. Um, Iran pretty much did all the legwork, like like they revealed yesterday, that everything's done. The schematics are done. They can start building these weapons. So it was very beneficial for them to enter into the JCPOA and actually say, okay, fine, we'll hang back a little bit, give us some more money. Let us initiate stage two and start moving into Syria and taking over the entire Middle East, getting ready for like a full-on attack or an invasion into Israel. North Korea, the same thing. They've already done their legwork. They, they've done everything. They've done about six nuclear tests, missile tests. They've got a nuclear program and actual physical nukes on standby, ready to go. So it behooves them, benefits them to actually go into an agreement now and get economic sanction relief. It, it, it's the exact same scenario. I would argue that Israel maybe, I mean, uh, Iran is a little bit further into that because they've got a program that they're ready to initiate and start once they've got uh, uh, land. North Korea has already got the nukes. Now they're looking for economic relief, and then they can hang back for a little bit and then do whatever they want to do later. Very, very similar, and it all revolves around a failed nuclear deal. Both both situations. One's from the Clintons, one's from the Obamas. So what mm. people are not connecting is the, 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 the press refuses to look at the 12th Imam. And, and, and perhaps we should be ringing this bell every single day. Well, they hadn't seen the first 11. <laughs> I know. So, so they, they may not understand the 12. 12. <laughs> um, but uh, this is something that they have to understand, the imam of time, because that is all that the Iranians are talking about with their people, and it's what they're using to whip up the Palestinians. Um, and th- this is a, I think, something... I think something around the 70th uh, of Israel is coming. I, I think, you know, May 14th, Donald Trump is supposed to be there. We're opening up our embassy. I think that's a very, very dangerous time. Um, but I could be wrong. They're expecting 100,000 protesters uh, just on the border. Uh, it, it could be really, truly a nightmare scenario. And they believe when the world is washed with blood... The imam of time will come back and then he will rule the world. They believe that stuff and no one will pay attention. You know, the good thing is Donald Trump was there with me and Ted Cruz and Carly Fiorina and uh, most of uh, most of the uh, candidates, uh, you know, for president. When that deal was signed, trying to get Congress to stand up and not take that deal. Don't allow this to be done. So Donald Trump was clear on this deal back then. I think he's still clear on this deal. I would like to know, where did the president get the money from? He sent over, we sent over a pallet of what, $1.8, $1.4 billion in cash? The president doesn't have a checkbook. Congress has a checkbook. Where did he get that money? Have you ever heard anybody ask that question? Where is that money from? Some slush fund? Because if the president has a slush fund, why doesn't Trump, Donald Trump just use that slush fund to, to build the wall? Oh, I remember. Because the president's not supposed to have a slush fund. Where did that money come from? And they wanted it in cash for a reason. So they could fund terrorists all around the world. We gave them money, and that now is blood money. It's really a dangerous situation. How does how how much was this a, um, a, a, a you know psychological operation for the uh, Iranians 
for for Netanyahu to come out and say, yeah, we took, you know, basically a railroad car full of documents and we smuggled them out underneath your noses in one of your most top secret places. That's got to that's not sitting well. Not at all. I mean, (laughs) Iran is basically I mean, they're they're heavily infiltrated by the Mossad uh, Israeli uh, foreign intelligence, heavily infiltrated. But I would not want to be in the Iranian intelligence or any kind of security apparatus probably in the next few months because they're probably doing a heavy, heavy purge. Another interesting part about this, because you, you brought this up, a lot of the information that Netanyahu talked about was known at some level. There are some additional details to it, but we kind of knew what was going on there a little bit. What's interesting to me about it, though, is while it was in the IAEA documents, much of it, it was not presented to the American people as if this was real. This is from the White House website talking about the historic deal that will prevent Iran from uh, acquiring a nuclear weapon. This is the way they, they phrase this. Here are the answers to a few questions you might have on how we will make sure that Iran's nuclear program remains exclusively peaceful remains exclusively peaceful the iaea documents outline it was absolutely not exclusively peaceful and that's how they sold it all the obama bros the ben Rhodes of the world all sold it to the american people as this was never happening but this will this will ease your conspiratorial minds right this deal will make sure that there's no pathway for them to get there it was not exclusively peaceful. The documents blatantly show that. Netanyahu's documents back all of that up in spades. And they don't, I mean, that is the that is the big issue. They lied over and over again. And they admitted later lying and manipulating journalists to get this vision of the Iran nuclear deal out to the people. And you have to ask yourself, why? I mean, look at with... You know, I hate to bring up the Soros connection here um, and the Cass Sunstein connection. But uh, but look who is, you know, our ambassador at the U.N. And what were they trying to do? They wanted to destabilize Libya. They let Benghazi happen. They were shipping arms from Benghazi to where? Syria to Syrian rebels. That's why our ambassador was killed. They're, they were shipping weapons to Syria. That became ISIS. That destabilized Syria. At the same time, they do this crooked deal with Iran, which strengthens Iran and allows them now to go across Iraq into Syria with Russian backing, destabilize with the Palestinians. This is all coming back on Samantha Power and Barack Obama. All of this. All of this. It's an interesting point, Stu, that you make that it was always about their enrichment of uranium, stuff like that. But it was always a weapons weapons program, Mm -hmm. always for weapons. Mm -hmm. And that's what some of these documents reveal. Thank you very much, Jason. Uh, Keep an eye on this for us, if you will. By the way, really interesting and big news, and it makes sense. Let me give you a quote from the Saudi crown prince in uh, quoting... In the last several decades, the Palestinian leadership has missed one opportunity after another and rejected all the peace proposals it was given. It's about time the Palestinians take the proposals and agree to come to the negotiation table or shut up and stop complaining, end quote. That was right after he said Israel has a right to exist. Uh, Things are changing in the Middle East. 
All right, big news. Last two weeks, Simply Safe won the Editor's Choice Award from CNET Magazine, PC Magazine, and The Wirecutter. These are the three, probably the, the most respected product testers out there for the uh, high tech world. And they put Simply Safe through a battery of tests and they compared it to all the other home security products. And Simply Safe won every time. Simply Safe, best home security system, hands down. So, what is it? Well, it is a safe. Uh, it is a uh, uh, a system that you own. There are no contracts. The price is unbelievably reasonable. Um, you don't need anybody in to you know figure out count the number of doors and windows. You know uh, where do I put the motion sensor? Because you're smart enough to do that. You own it. You install it. Literally, depending on the size of your house, from. 20 minutes, 15 minutes if you're in an apartment uh, to, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes if you live in a big house. Also great for business. Simply Safe. Take 10% off now. SimplySafeBeck.com. SimplySafeBeck.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. I am so fascinated by the next two hours of this program. Uh, we have a practicing Catholic. Uh, he is the uh, editor of uh, Remnant Magazine, which is a Catholic magazine, uh, who has some pretty deep and profound questions about the Pope and where the Pope is headed and what he actually believes. Then the director of The Exorcist, coming in hour number two, who says, I got it wrong. It's worse. I've seen Glenn it firsthand. Back. Coming up. Mercury. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. So... I have been looking for someone uh, that is willing to go on record and and teach me what the heck is happening in the world of Catholicism. What is happening with this pope and how is he? What is he doing? What is he doing? Who is he? Uh, You know, there's been some speculation from the very beginning that he might be a little hostile towards uh, capitalism and the the western way of of doing things i think that has uh, proven to be pretty accurate he has recently has been said to deny the existence of of hell which is kind of big in the catholic doctrine uh he came out this weekend then said you know let's get rid of all weapons and then we can all live in peace I'm also concerned because I have heard that he is um, becoming cozy with with Putin and Russia. More disturbing is that he has become uh, close with China and is actually, as I understand it, undermining the uh, underground church because there's two churches. There's the church that the government approves. And then the underground bishops, and they are the ones that are doing all the heavy lifting and getting Christians to safety uh, who are actually making a difference. And it's my understanding that he is taking that apart. 
So we've been uh, looking around, and uh, Michael Matt is the editor of the Remnant newspaper. It's the oldest Catholic uh, newspaper in the in the country, and he has some of the same questions. So, as a practicing Catholic, uh, we thought he would be good to answer some of these these questions. Welcome to the uh, welcome to the program, uh, Michael. Thank you very much, Glenn. Pleasure to be here. Sure. So, uh, first of all, tell me a little bit about yourself, so we know that you know that you're not just an anti-Catholic kind of guy. Oh, right. No, absolutely. I'm a I'm a traditional minded tradition minded Catholic, which means I really support and accept all the teachings of the Church. You know, I'm a father of seven children. We've uh, <laughs> we're the type, Glenn, who never miss Mass on Sunday and all the rest. So, okay. what's happening in the Church right now is extremely distressing, not only to us but to a lot of faithful Catholics. And uh, we're trying to make uh, make heads or tails out of it too at this point. So, so I don't even know where to begin um, w- with this, but I, I know that you have you reported on the conclave, and you say that this pope's election was even suspect. Well, yes, it's 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 suspect may may be the wrong word. It's just it's incredibly unprecedented. So the way things happened, uh, the way Pope Benedict. Uh, you know, abdicated very suddenly, right mid-stride when he had so much that he was planning on doing and still working on, including an unfinished encyclical and so forth, to suddenly abdicate under those circumstances was just very bizarre, not only for Catholics, but for everyone, everyone who's watching and for historians who followed this over the years. Uh, it was very strange, and the haste with which uh, Jorge Bergoglio was, uh, was, was selected just had, had many of us kind of saying, what, 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 where did this come from? What happened? Who is this guy? <laughs> and, and so, I mean, but it's really important, you know, for all of us, for Catholics. I think there's a lot of ignorance out there about, you know, what does this mean? Is it possible for a Catholic pope to not be the greatest guy, to not be a saint, to fall, to make mistakes? And I think that's where a lot of non-Catholics, they have a misunderstanding of what we mean by the inerrancy or the papal infallibility in other words, it's possible, Glenn, as you know, uh, to have a terrible pope, to have a pope yeah. who's a sinner. Uh, we've had terrible popes in the past. So what's happening now with Francis is very perplexing, but of course it doesn't shake our faith in the Catholic Church itself, all of which is still there. It's a divine institution. And Francis is on his own here in many things. He's, just, he's kind of out there with his own opinions, which are not protected, which are not inerrant. And I, you know, as a faithful Catholic, it breaks my heart to say this, but he's doing a very... A very upsetting uh, thing right now by siding with the with the political left and by really kind of taking it to faithful Catholics. He is. It's interesting to me because I see him more and more every day. I mean, with he's he's hanging out with really disturbing people. Uh, you know, Paul Ehrlich, uh, George Soros. He seems to agree with, and um, it's he's almost becoming in some ways the anti John Paul. No, no, absolutely. And as you mentioned, this, this tweet over the weekend where he says we should ban all weapons in order to be... And that's, that's right out of, you know, John Lennon. Let's give peace a chance. You know, imagine there's no heaven, there's no hell. Uh, a lot of things just seem almost hippie-esque coming from... And, of course, he's 82 years old. How much of this is coming right from his mind and how much of it is part of the sort of Greg Burke, which is an Oprah Day uh, operative who is really doing a lot, of, a lot of PR work for the Vatican right now? How much of that is coming from the official sort of Vatican PR machine, I don't know. But it's, uh, it's very scandalous. And uh, there are a lot of faithful Catholics that just 
are perplexed by this. I mean, if Pope Francis wants everyone to get rid of weapons, should he start with the Swiss Guard? Should we dearm the Swiss Guard then? I mean, there's just so much sort of fuzzy liberal, uh, you know, uh, tweets and whatever that he's, get, that he's throwing out there right now that don't seem to be grounded or well thought out. Um, I, I want to ask you, because this was brought up to me by a, a staunch Catholic who said, Glenn, you, and it's reason why we, we're having you on today is we started a search because I, I didn't know this and I want to understand this. A staunch Catholic came up to me and said, do you realize what the Pope is doing in China? And explained it to me. Uh, and I, I just can't believe that's true. Is it true that the Pope is, is undermining uh, through his actions of cozying up with the new dictator in uh, China, that he is undermining the underground church? Well, you know, it's, this is difficult. You know, the situation in China is very, it's very, very tough for anybody to say with any, with any certainty what's going on there. So I guess I would refer to an expert I think most people would accept, and that is Cardinal Joseph Zen, who's the former you know, bishop of Hong Kong. And he recently accused the Vatican of selling out the church in China. So it's another one of those things where what is going on? Why can't we get clarity on this? For so many years, faithful Catholics, and I mean faithful to dogma and doctrine in China, but also faithful to the Vatican, have been holding the torch, if you will. They've been being persecuted. They've, they've been martyred. They've gone underground. And all of a sudden, the Vatican comes out with Pope Francis at the helm, and says, well, we're going to regularize, we're going to, we're going to have relations with the Chinese Patriotic Association, which is a communist sort of uh, pseudo-Catholic church. Now, maybe there's some sort of an alliance or some sort of negotiations that are going on that could justify this in a way that you and I, you know, we don't see it yet. But the, the very strange thing about Pope Francis and, the, and the, the, uh, the Vatican at the moment is that they don't take the time to explain these things. So it's just another massive scandal like it was when he said, supposedly, allegedly, that hell doesn't exist. All, all they had to do was have Pope Francis come out and just reassert that he believes hell does exist. But nothing. They didn't come out and explain that. They came out and said that it was an unfaithful transcription that, uh, what, that hit the news, hit the press, the world press. But never did they reaffirm the doctrine of hell and that Francis believes it. So it's this sort of squishy, uncertainty, failure to be cl clear that has not just us, but you know, Catholics all across the world, really concerned right now. But it, it, uh, from what I understand, um, the, his actions just in China alone are, are actually um, uh, starting to shut down the Underground Railroad, if you will. And, uh, and, and he's, the, the church is calling everybody in from underground and saying, hey, just come to the official you know, Catholic, you know, Communist Party church. Is that true? Well, th that is certainly the reports that we are getting. Again, it's difficult to verify these things, but that seems to be what's happening. I know there are several uh, priests and Chinese bishops now who are saying, yeah, you know, it's about time that we do this. Um, on, on the other hand, the, as I say, you know, uh, Cardinal Zen, uh, he feels that this is a, a massive betrayal. And I think if you look at the sort of the philosophy behind this, Francis has this new idea, Glenn, and a lot of Catholics are very concerned that doctrine and dogma and that sort of thing really doesn't matter that much because we are talking about the God of mercy, and everything is merciful now. God would never send anybody to hell. Even if hell exists, no one would ever do that. So he's much more interested, it seems, in unity, in setting up sort of a tenuous unity with all of these various groups and overlooking the things that actually do form obstacles. 
certainly the doctrinal problems. And he's doing this in China. He's doing this in, you know, with Protestants and other groups that are non-Catholics. Instead of negotiating fairly or, or having you know, conversations that are honest, there's a lot of deceit coming out of the Vatican right now, I'm sorry to say. Uh, t- tell me about his relationship with Putin and Russia, because it's, that is, uh, I mean, for anybody who, you know, uh, knows anything about, you know, the miracle of Fatima, uh, that's what that was really all about, was the dangers of Russia, and especially in this time period. Um, and he seems to be getting into bed with Russia and, and, uh, and Putin. Yeah, again, it's, it's, it's interesting that you would bring up Fatima, because that's, that's the, a lot of this that's happening right now was predicted in those very famous apparitions as a public miracle and so forth back in the early 19th and early 20th century uh, that talked about a, a great crisis in the church and wars and so forth in the world, as we're seeing. And so the situation with Russia right now is different. It's difficult to quite see what he's doing. Um, I, think that, I think that Francis's big concern is keeping this sort of European Union, and maybe, not to sound too conspiratorial, but sort of the, the nascent stages of this so-called new world order, I think he's very interested in keeping that alive and viable, which is very, again, very surprising to faithful Catholics. But his, his, his position with Russia, to me, seems a little unclear. I'm not sure if he means some of these things that he's doing with Russia, or if it's more of a case he wants to placate Russia so that Russia will play games, play the game, with the George Soros, World Without Borders, European Union, you know, game plan. Again, difficult to say, but certainly unprecedented from a pope to hear some of the things that we're hearing. Putin is absolutely against, I mean, he is, he is spending money to stop the European Union, and uh, he is stirring up unrest all throughout Europe. Um, he does not want a strong uh, united Europe by any stretch of the imagination. So. Right. Where would the, I don't understand. <laughs> I think maybe I'm stumbling into what you're, you're feeling every day as a Catholic. Glenn, it's, it's, it's really, again, it's as heartbreaking as a faithful Catholic. I love the Catholic Church. I believe it's the true Church of Jesus Christ. But this is heartbreaking. You, you don't get clarity. We've never had a Pope like this, Glenn. If you look back, as I say, there have been bad Popes, there have been sinners, there's been honorious types, there's been the, the Borgia Popes. So we're used to scandal. But this is something entirely different. If you saw, like during the, the run-up to the last election, Bernie Sanders and Tim Kaine and these guys just coming and going, along with Jeffrey Sachs and the rest, Paul Ehrlich, as you mentioned, in the Vatican. You know, well, well whatever you think of Trump, well, Francis is telling the world that Trump is not a Christian and he's a wall builder and he's a problem. So he was willing to get involved with politics, but he was very supportive of the left. And it was just... As a faithful Catholic, again, it left us stunned. So what for, is happening in the Vatican? For anybody who doesn't know who Jeffrey Sachs is or Paul Ehrlich, explain why that's disturbing to you. Well, th- th- these, are the, these are the sustainable development guides. Uh, you know, Ehrlich wrote a book called The Population Bomb, which had basically been completely discredited from the time that he had written it years and years ago. But guess who rehabilitated it? And him, the author, the Vatican. So the Vatican invites these men to the, to, to the Vatican for their various conferences. And, of course, they sort of cover things up by saying, well, they're not here. These men are not here to talk about doctrine. They're here to talk about science or whatever. But we see through that. So they're rehabilitating people like, Jeff, like, like Paul Ehrlich. They're giving entree to a guy like, like uh, uh, Jeffrey Sachs. And this is very disturbing because, as you know, the Catholic Church 
is very strong on the issues of abortion and so forth. Even contraception is a controversial thing that the, still the Catholic Church teaches against. And yet these gentlemen that you're referring to are talking about using those means to control population. Yeah. So how in the world can the Vatican, without causing scandal, invite these people to come in as honored guests and speak about these things without putting themselves uh, at jeopardy, or putting themselves at odds, I should say, with millions, billions of faithful Catholics? It just doesn't work. Michael Matt, the uh, editor of the Remnant newspaper, thank you so much for the uh, the conversation and and honestly, thanks to uh, Catholics all around the world, you guys have held the torch of uh, anti-abortion or pro-life uh, while I think the rest of us have fallen down on the job. It is mainly the Catholics that have that have kept this alive and especially with Charlie Gard uh, and uh, Alfie Evans last week, what the what the Catholics have done uh, on life is is nothing short of of miraculous and and thank you and all of the Catholics that are doing that. Well, thanks for saying that, Glenn. And I think that you know, as a Catholic, I think that people, most people, would agree that if the Catholic Church does lay lay down the sword, if you will, on the cultural on the moral questions, not just Catholics but the entire world is going to suffer for that because in a sense it always has been sort of the light on the hill, or it has held the bar high. Even if you don't agree with the Church, with the moral teaching of the Church, it does hold the bar high, which benefits all in society. So I think there are a lot of non-Catholics, too, now, who are looking at what's happening in the Vatican, and they're growing fearful, because it does seem like the Catholic Church is preparing. Now, this is the human element of the Catholic Church, preparing to surrender on these very important issues to us all. And so, again, we're very concerned, and we hope that you know, people will share their concerns with the, with the folks in the Vatican and other Catholic outlets, because I think there is still time to turn this around. But at this point, Pope Francis, I'm sorry to say, is causing great concern for all of us. Thanks a lot, Michael. Appreciate it. Website is uh, Remnant Newspaper for Michael Matt. He's the editor of the Remnant Newspaper. You can get him on Twitter at Remnant News. Have you ever wanted to refinance your mortgage, but you didn't want to start a 30-year loan again? American Financing can help. When refinancing to eliminate mortgage insurance, lower your rate, or consolidate your high-interest debt, don't worry about resetting your loan. Because with American Financing, they work for you, and they offer three, uh, sorry, a, a 9, 13, or 18-year loan. Any term that you really need, because again, they're going to design it. It's a custom loan for you. You choose the term based on your budget, and they're going to find the most competitive interest rate out there. It's your mortgage, your way. Plus, with a fixed rate, no matter where the interest rates go, yours stays the same. Monthly payments won't increase, and it just takes one call to their salary-based mortgage consultants, and they're going to guide you through the options and will customize the right program to achieve your financial goals. And they'll even get you closed in as fast as 10 days. It's American Financing. 1-800-906-2440. 1-800-906-2440. That's AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing Corporation, NMLS 182334. www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. 
kind of a, a weird day. They just happen to all fall on the same day. But we have Bill Friedkin on at the top of next hour. He's the guy who directed The Exorcist. Uh, and he's made a, a, a new documentary. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a little terrifying. Uh, he, 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 he met uh, Father Gabriel Amorth. He's known as the Dean of Exorcists, and he got, he got permission to, as long as he took it seriously and didn't try to make it into some hypey thing, to follow him with cameras and 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 film exorcisms, and it's changed him. Now here's the guy who did the French Connection and the Exorcist and the Brinks Job and Rules of Engagement. He's now directing operas all around the world. But he did this, and he said, I would have made The Exorcist differently. I would have cut all the special effects, you know, the you know, turning of her head and the vomiting of pea soup. He said, I would have taken all that out. He said, because it's much more frightening what's real. Uh, and he went to doctors, and he showed brain scans. You know, they did brain scans on these people, and, they, and the doctors, these neurologists are like, I have no idea what that is. There's there's nothing we can do to stop that. We have no idea what it is. And it's it's bizarre. Really strange. Yeah. Uh, and uh, one of the you know classic horror films of all time, obviously, The Exorcist. Scared the hell out of me. Um, and he also had nothing to do with The Exorcist 2, The Heretic, which is known as one of the worst movies of all time. So that gives him uh, more, even more credibility. In fact, he's never even seen it. Really? He's never seen any of the Exorcist sequels, at least as of, of a Would couple you? years ago. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I mean, this is the same thing with Airplane, uh, another classic movie. Uh, well, documentary, I guess. But Airplane, <laughs> uh, Airplane 2, the sequel, mm-hmm. which is the name of the movie. I'm not just saying it's the sequel. I'm saying the, the movie's called Airplane 2, the sequel, but was never actually viewed by the people who made Airplane because they don't... Uh, they they didn't want it to be ruined, which is interesting because they really airplane to the sequel is just the same movie as airplane. Okay, I don't know what you're even talking about. Except it's about on a space now. shuttle instead of an airplane, which makes no sense if you're going to call it airplane <laughs> two. Why is it on a space shuttle? All right. So but none of it you. makes sense. Thank you. So anyway, he's going to be joining us in about a half hour. He said, "I was scared, seriously scared. I was two feet away from them, and it was terrifying." I'm going to talk to him coming up in about a half an hour. Glenn Beck Mercury A home is usually the biggest investment we make in our entire lives. You need to have rock-solid advice because if you screw up when you're buying or selling a home, it can have financial impacts that can last for many years. Most people have had a very bad experience because they've tried to hire some family member or a friend or uh, some uh, vagrant they've met on the street uh, as their real estate agent. That's not a good plan. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to get this done the right way. It's a network of over 1,200 agents all over America that are rigorously qualified by Glenn's team. Glenn started this company and their experience, their marketing plans, their character, and the results they get for their clients are the way that they rate these agents. And you can get the best ones in your area by just going to realestateagentsitrust.com. If you need to sell your house, fast and for the most money. Or if you're looking to buy, go to realestateagentsitrust.com. You'll be introduced to the best agent in your town. Let these agents earn your business. Get moving with realestateagentsitrust.com. 
is the Glenn Beck Program. I, you know, I'm tired of your constant uh, skepticism, Stu. I'm, I'm tired of it. And I, 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 paid I, mean, for. I really, gl- I'm glad we live in a time of Google, but it wrecks too many stories. It wrecks too many stories. It does. It does ruin yeah. storytelling in a lot yeah, of ways. It does. Because you, you start telling a story and then people just start Googling in front of you. Yeah. And you're like, your, can you wait until I'm done with the story? Can you wait? Get the happy moment before you figure out yes. it's a lie. Yeah. Or <laughs> just don't get ahead of me or answer story. You know, say, yeah, but did you know? No. That's coming from Google. I have mine in my head. Don't. Now, it's, you can fill it in. You can correct it at a later moment, as soon as I'm finished with the story. But the minute I start talking about a story, Stu is like, he just looks at me, and I, I just, in his head, I already hear. Mm-hmm. That's, I, can, I can hear it. It's just the way he's look, his eyes say. I, a lot of times I do find the need to fact check yes. you. Yes, that's true. Well, this isn't one of them. This I will say I think you're right. If you think I'm right, what? I will say I was not one of the times I needed to fact check you. But Thank I, you very much. I don't know that but until it, I do it. It is one of those that you hear and you immediately, you say this to anyone and you look at them while you're telling them this today. You look at them and you will hear in their eyes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we were just talking about mountain ranges. I don't know how we got on the subject, but we were talking about mountain ranges. And uh, Stu had said, I love, you know, summer and mountains. I like mountain towns in the summer in particular. And I said, you have to go to, you know, like Jackson Hole and see and and hang out at the Grand Tetons because they're unbelievable. And then I said, little known fact, do you know what the why why they're called the Grand Tetons? And he said, "Uh, no. And I said, it was a French guy who I guess discovered them or named them. And uh, said those uh, those look like you know big tetons uh, breasts, and so there it's it's actually known uh, um, you know in a in a kinder more gentler radio way as big breasts, grand tetons, big breasts. Yes, it, it does seem that this story because it uh, they're I guess they're known as a series as the three breasts. <laughs> But the Grand Teton, 13,770 feet, known as the Big, the, the big Breast, although t- t- Teton. Teton, yeah. Teton, if you can. So some, so some place, <laughs> there are French people that are like, no, they do not call their mountain range that. <laughs> yes, they do. No, they. <laughs> it's their fault. Yeah, but, but in their language, it says the Big there's a big I mean, bunch of big boobs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pop. It's. I mean, it's only really effective when you're using the right word, but we can't use it. So when you're using the right word there, you can hear the French people. That is ridiculous. <laughs> no way. It's like a giant practical joke, French. It really on is. Who thought that's a good idea? You know what? He just said they look like big. Let's call them that. <laughs> who said that i don't know it does sound so much better oh it does the The grand Grand tetons Tetons. but when you say it it you could just take from it exactly what the translation is is. now say the grand tetons they sound so beautiful Mm -hmm. now translate it into english (laughs) 
It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. They just say it in your car. Just look up at the sky and picture it. Go, hey, look at those big... And, and then... <laughs> And imagine, and then realize, hey, that, kids, this weekend we're going to the big. <laughs> no, the, and then just realize that that's actually their name. That people are just that's actually what we're saying to French people. They come over here and they visit. They just hang out by the, at the bottom of them and wait for people to say it. <laughs> and the, you know, the French people are like they have no idea. They moron Americans. They have absolutely no idea. Hey, the Grand Titans, huh? <laughs> <laughs> very strange oh, fact. Oh my gosh. Well, that's what I'm into. I'm, uh, that's what I'm into. By the way, the Mercury Museum is coming in. I want you to get your tickets now. <laughs> Friday. This, are these sorts of knowledge you're going to be dropping on people at the museum? Do you know who Peter Zanger is? Peter Zanger. Of course I do. I, yeah. <laughs> what does that translate yeah, to? I don't want to know. <laughs> no idea. Look at the zanger on that guy. Huh? <laughs> uh, he In the 1730s, he had a newspaper. And he started to um, he started to criticize the king, and so he was taken in front of the court, and they were going to uh, they were going to put him in jail for the things that he said. Uh, and it's because of Peter Zanger that we have free speech, and we have the layout of free speech because he went in front of court, and his defense was, "Did I get it wrong?" And they're like, "You can't call the king." what you you can't say those things and he's like mm, yeah i think i can as long as it's the truth did i get it wrong and the judge actually had to rule in his favor as long as it's true you can say that well that was a first in the world okay uh so he's he's really the the father of the first amendment and with the whole the whole um uh museum this summer is about rights and responsibilities and when we don't take our bill of rights seriously we get into all kinds of trouble and it's going to be a great great experience again it happens june 15th that's a friday through sunday june 17th here at the mercury studios in irving so come on down to texas bring your family get your tickets now mercury1.org slash museum 2018 that's mercury1.org slash museum 2018. I have a phone number here. They don't want me to give out. A, are they people use the phone to text? Yeah. I yeah, I don't I don't. That must be a mistake. It says get your tickets and then it gives a phone number. I oh, don't wow. You can actually call and get tickets. Impressive. I guess. I mean, it, it, you know what? It is a history museum. So why not do it the old timey way? Mm hmm. Call and talk to somebody. Yeah, 972-499-4747. That's crazy. It's I didn't know we did that anymore. 972-499-4747. It's hard to understand these old-timey devices, Glenn. Um, and they're actually finding that out in schools now. Um, the uh, Association of School and College Leaders mm. uh, have, have come up with a, a, a new plan. Because there's some problem, the students are having problems in the classrooms. Um, they are trying to figure out like what time it is, mm -hmm. you know, and it's hard. It's hard to do because mm -hmm. what's happening is there's these circular devices on the walls, okay, and these circular devices we're doomed. <laughs> we are doomed. Do not have numbers on them 
in order. Like if we have a digital clock in here and it says 9, 40, whatever it says, 42, 40, 36, 37, 38, 39. It tells you the seconds. It tells you the minutes. It tells you the hour. Uh-huh. Well, apparently these these devices they've installed in these classrooms are circular. Are circular, and they have hands on them, or little sticks that point at the numbers. They have no idea, and no one in the school can figure out what the heck they mean. There, are, this is these are legitimate quotes. The current generation aren't as good at as at reading the traditional clock face as older generations. The current generation aren't as good. That is what it says. Again, this okay. is the Association of right. School and College Leaders. Okay, college leaders. Current generation aren't as good at reading the uh, hands on a face of a clock. They got no good seeing. No, they didn't say that. They <laughs> ain't got no time to learn and stuff. They're used to seeing a digital representation of time on their phone. Oh, or my gosh. Computer. This is not a safe space. Nearly, They're used to that. Nearly everything they've got. Again, got is a weird word for anyone in education. It is. Nearly everything they've got is digital. So youngsters are... Everything they've got. Who is this? Who is this person? Nearly everything they got. (laughs) Be damn dare digital. (laughs) So youngsters are just exposed to time being given digitally everywhere. Give this to me. I can't... These are quotes. Quotes. I... Current generation aren't as good at reading the traditional. What is this? It's like a cowboy school. <laughs> Current generation no aren't as good. Cowboys as, can read clocks. That's the difference. They're used to seeing a digital representation of time on their phone, on their computer. Nearly everything they got is digital. So youngsters. So you know this is this is a guy who's been around for a while because nobody uses the word youngsters mm-hmm. unless they're. What, 80? <laughs> so youngsters just exposed to time being given digitally everywhere. You don't want them to put their hand up and ask how much time is left. No, you don't. You want them to be able to look at the face on the wall and go, oh, I've got 12 minutes left. You know, we used to learn these before kindergarten. Yeah. It used to be kind of a basic thing that you'd learn, and apparently that's too difficult now because they can't figure out how many minutes they they have until they get to run out of the classroom and do something else. So uh, pretty embarrassing. How many how many minutes left before before I'm responsible to make my own way through this scary scary world? Not enough for you. <laughs> apparently, not enough. Sponsor this half hour is uh, Goldline. I just listen to this. Turkish government has made the decision to repatriate all of its gold reserves currently housed in the Federal Reserve System. They were storing 220 tons valued at $25 billion in the U.S., which it repossessed on April 19th. Okay, so Turkey just took all of its gold out of the Federal Reserve System. Okay, that's good. Venezuela took their money out. The the Netherlands also retrieved 122.5 tons of gold. Germany brought home 300 metric tons. Uh, Austria, uh, Austria, Belgium have also reviewed and are taking the are taking similar messages. I took out my 75 tons as well. You did? Yeah, I, I pulled it all out. I just didn't yeah. trust it anymore. You know, when you have 75, I mean, I still, I left 100 tons in there, but I took out 75. Can I tell tons. you something? I have literally, 
I have a hundred thousand tons of balsa wood. I took it all. Really? Out. Yeah. I thought, and a hundred thousand tons of balsa wood. That's, that's a lot of wood. That's that's a, that's a whole balsa forest. And that was in all in the at the Fed. That's all at the well. Yeah, well, the that the 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 federal balsa wood reserve. Oh, okay. And just in case uh, we ever currency ever becomes those airplanes with the rubber bands, could happen at any time. Uh, it could, it could, and uh, I am going to be sitting pretty, but that's a different story. Um, the markets are volatile. People are repatriating their gold. This could be why, because there's no faith in credit uh, or no, no faith in the full faith and credit of the United States government and our currency because we're headed for war. I don't know, but the world is starting to call their gold back. That's a really big deal. Now, one thing that survives wars, survives inflation, is gold. I don't want you to wake up like you did on that day in 2008, and you haven't hedged your bet and put some things you know, away in different ways. So in case the dollar collapses or, or we just go to war or whatever, you have something. I want you now to call Goldline and find out about their their IRAs, find out about gold in, you know, in bullion or in the bullion that's coming from the Canadian uh, Reserve or American. Find out the best way for you to hold gold as an insurance policy. Will you look into it, please? Because no country has ever printed as much money as we have. 866-GOLDLINE. one 866 Goldline. They're waiting to help you through this. Do your own homework, read all the important risk information, and find out if gold or silver is right for you. 866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Welcome to the program. You know, uh, the NRA is, uh, and I want you to, pu- I want you to push back the, the, the tweets of just morons, uh, on the NRA. It's, it's amazing. Um, the, the Parkland ag- advocates are pushing this, this narrative that the NRA is banning guns at their convention because Mike Pence is coming. Well, let me just give you some of the tweets. Uh, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me to make the VP safe? There aren't any weapons around, but when it comes to the children, they want guns everywhere? Can someone explain this to me? Because it sounds like the NRA wants to protect people who help them sell guns, not kids. Oh, I'm glad you asked. Yes, we can explain it to you. Are they really putting the VP at risk if they think a no-gun zone is going to work? On so many levels, this is a lightning. According to the NRA, we should want everyone to have weapons when we're in public. But when they're put on, when they put on a convention, the weapons are a concern. I thought giving everyone was a gun, a way to, to enhance safety. Am I missing something? Yes. yes. Yes, you are. I'm so glad they keep asking these questions at the yes. end. In fact, here is what you're, uh, here's what you're missing. Title 18 of the United States Code section 3056 and 1752. The Secret Service. Due to attendance of the Vice President of the United States, the U.S. Secret Service will be responsible for event security at the NRA-ILA Leadership Forum. As a result, 
firearms and firearm accessories, knives or weapons of any kind, will be prohibited in the forum prior to and during his attendance. So it's the Secret Service doing this, not the NRA. You don't have a choice when the Secret Service says no guns. They come in with all of the guns. They're the only ones in the room with guns. And they're not there to protect you. They're there to protect one person. So it's not the NRA. So if you see this, make sure you stomp this lie back. Title 18, United States Code, Section 3056 and 1752. Just tell people, get an education, figure out yourself what in those sections is telling the Secret Service what to do. And the Secret Service is telling the NRA what to do. Back in a minute. Glenn Beck Mercury. Love, courage, truth. Glenn Beck. How do you feel about us as a country right now? How are we doing? I mean, it's really hard to be positive if you even glance at the news for just a few seconds every day. But the news is, it's full of lies. And I don't mean lies about one politician or another. I mean, it's not who we are. There is a lot to be thankful and to celebrate about in this country. We don't spend near enough time talking about the good things. And from time to time, may I just be a reminder that we still know how to love and help one another. There were wildfires that raged across the western part of Oklahoma last month. It was devastating. Devastated cattle grazing lands. It scorched an area the size of Chicago and New York City combined. And the surviving cattle are struggling now because the most urgent need is food. Well, thank goodness for the cattle version of FEMA. Washington, D.C., government to the rescue. No, actually, no. The heroes are total strangers. They're from states as far away as Michigan and Montana. And these strangers have been hauling truckload after truckload after truckload of emergency hay to western Oklahoma. Now, this has all been organized just through word of mouth via Facebook. And the old technology, barely worth mentioning. People just talking to each other. The donated hay has been pouring in uh, from regular people, not the government. A man from one of the hardest hit towns in the state boiled it down. You know, the he said the good Samaritan hay. We've waited on the government. And we waited on the government. And if we would have continued to wait on the government, we wouldn't have any hay. Tiny town of volunteers working 12-hour shifts distributing the donated hay at the town's rodeo grounds without the emergency hay the ranchers would have been forced to sell their already decimated herds two brothers who raise cattle near the kansas oklahoma border 
drove true tractor trailers with 64 bales of hay to the ranch of a man they've never even met. But they understand what the man is going through because their family's land burned last year and the hay donated by strangers saved their herd. Now the man's hundred cows will be able to survive as well. This is why when we left the farms, we changed fundamentally. Getting to know your neighbor is, is more than just getting to know your neighbor. It really is. And you're almost forced to do it in a farming town because you know if that farmer is suffering from drought or from fires or whatever it is, your turn is coming if it hasn't just been there. And so you got to help them because they're going to help you. One of the brothers said, they think it can't get any worse, but when these loads of hay come in, it really gives you hope. As a nation, I think we need to reconnect with the idea that when the chips are down, as Ronald Reagan put it, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. And ultimately, America is going to be okay because of people just like you. People like the ones, the two brothers that are driving tractor trailer full of hay to strangers. People who still know how and strive to do the right thing. When it comes to serving people, we don't wait for the government aid. We don't wait for permission. You just see something that needs to be done, and America gets up and gets busy helping. It's Tuesday, May 1st. This is the Glenn Beck Program. There is a new movie that is out that is a that's a documentary uh and it was made by the director of the exorcist i want to play the trailer here listen at the time i directed the film the exorcist i had never seen the real thing but on may 1st 2016 father gabriella amort the vatican exorcist invited me to witness an actual exorcism i had no idea what to expect. The more you open yourself to thinking about this stuff, and you start feeling about this stuff, the more room you allow for the supernatural power of evil to come in. If we don't understand it, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. There's a dimension to this world that is strange and beyond our capacity to control. Can I know how to treat it? No. So something is happening to her, it's clear. But maybe she puts into it the religious context in which she grew up. Because they believe, obviously, they know what's wrong with her. She's possessed by the devil. I think that's a very dangerous thing, getting in close quarters with the devil. People like Father Amor maybe can do that. I would never dare to do it. This is not fiction. It's different from all the movies. And I was there to film it. The movie is called The Devil and Father Amorth, and he is the Vatican's uh, um, exorcist. Uh, He died shortly after this was filmed, 
And the guy who filmed it was the director of many movies that, you know, The French Connection, To Live and Die in L.A., The Brinks Job, Twelve Angry Men, uh, Rules of Engagement. He's now doing operas all over the world. Uh, He is probably best known for his direction of The Exorcist. Uh, Bill Friedkin is uh, with us now. Hello, Bill. How are you? Good, Glenn. Good morning. So I have to tell you, first of all, your movie, The Exorcist, is one of the only movies that I, I I've never finished. Uh, I've tried to watch it twice. It still freaks me out, uh, mainly because my sister was 16. I was about nine, and uh, she went to see it, and then she slept in the bunk up above me uh, because she was too scared to sleep in her own room, and she told me the story every night, and she freaked me out for like a month. Uh, so terrifying movie, and thank you for that. Um, well, go ahead. Well, Glenn, you know, I would not have shown it to a nine-year-old. No, 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 no. <laughs> well, she should, I wouldn't she's, show it to anyone yeah. under 15 or 16. Yeah, well, she snuck out of the house, and she saw it as as a 16-year-old, and then she told me about it. Um, so, so, Bill, what intrigues me about this is you've made the quintessential, I guess, you know, movie on possession, uh, possession. And in, in the interviews that I have seen and, and the stuff that I've read, um, you say, I wouldn't make the exorcist that way. It's, it's even more terrifying when you see it in person, the way it really is. Well, let me clarify that the exorcist is a work of fiction, the exorcist movie. I could not have made it any other way because there was um, a best-selling book, a yes, novel, correct. that came out before I made the film. Right. It had all these incidents and events that were written by Bill Blatty, who had also never seen an exorcism. The Catholic Church keeps a close lid on it. They say nothing about it. They don't even acknowledge it. They acknowledge that possession exists and that there is exorcism and that's it. I couldn't make the film any differently yes. because people were aware of the incidents in the book and wanted to see them. Sure. But now now that you have seen one, um, are you, first of all, are you convinced that it is, that it is real? Glenn, uh, there are many things of which I'm not convinced, but I'm curious extremely curious. I, be- I have to tell you, I believe that none of us know anything really about the eternal truths. Mm-hmm. We have belief systems, and they get us through life. But we don't know if there's an afterlife. We don't know if there's a heaven or a hell. We don't know um, if there is a God. We can believe, and very um, often, emotion trumps belief. And But the greatest thinkers in the world, and believe me, I have read many of the great works that they've written, have no idea. They have theories, they have beliefs, which is wonderful. I'm talking about from, from uh, St. Augustine to Stephen Hawking. Right. None of us know anything about the eternal truths. But so, so, many of us are comforted by this belief system. Right. So when you, first of all, tell me who Father Amorth was. It's Amort, the Amort. Age of Sorry, He was the Vatican exorcist for 31 years. He had performed thousands of exorcisms, and he had healed, or as he puts it, liberated many people who believed they were possessed. 
so, who had been to see doctors, psychiatrists, brain surgeons, and could get no satisfaction. So why, if the Vatican was keeping this kind of under wraps, how did you get access to one? Through Father Amort. He, he had written six or seven books about his work that went into, I don't know, 60, 70 printings now in many languages. And he wrote uh, almost a page about my film, The Exorcist, when it came out, or long after it came out. Um, he said that though the special effects were over the top, he thought that the film did help people to understand his work. So when I made an inquiry if I could meet him while I was in Italy for something else entirely, he agreed to meet with me. So tell me about, first, before we get into what the experience was like, you took uh, these patients and I, you took them to uh, neuroscientists and, and brain no, surgeons? I took one person, one person. One person, right, okay. Um, and, and said, okay, explain this. I thought they would debunk it. I took it to three of the leading neuroscientists in the country. They all said to a person that they had no idea what this was. They had no idea what to do about this. this although everything originates in the brain, mm -hmm. everything, this was not a problem of brain surgery. There was nothing they could remove. It wasn't epilepsy. It wasn't a lesion in the temporal lobe. Um, and there was nothing they could do as a brain surgeon. And these two of these men had uh, done over 5,000 brain surgeries each. I then took it to three of the leading psychiatrists in the country at Columbia University and expected that they would debunk it or tell me in some scientific terminology what this was. To my amazement, they said that they now recognize possession. It's called dissociative identity disorder, demonic possession. If someone comes in and says, I think I'm possessed, they don't say, no, you're, you're not possessed. Dear. We're going to give you some therapy and some medication and you'll be fine. They very often will bring in an exorcist. Now, it is a religious-based disease, and of course, it's catholic you know the jews the muslims other faiths have have other such uh diseases and they have other people who attempt to rid people of them but um in um in psychiatry uh they now treat it as demonic possession now it could be a placebo i hasten to say that they do that possibly thinking it's a placebo a placebo so I'm going to take a break. And when we come back, um, uh, Bill Friedkin, who is the director of The Devil and Father Amort uh, and, um, and the director of The Exorcist, is going to tell us what it was like to walk in, what was happening to the patient, and what was, what was going on, um, what the outcome was in just a second. I love this quote. FEMA is not a first responder, end quote. By the way, that comes from, uh, you know, FEMA. <laughs> FEMA is not a first responder. That means you are the first responder. Something goes wrong. You have to be the first responder. 
It is our responsibility to prepare so we're ready to act no matter what kind of crisis that you might face. You know, we were just talking about the, the farmers that have lost the hay um, uh, from a wildfire. People were losing their houses because of wildfire. I mean, when we had the hurricanes here in Texas, how many people had to go find a place to live, but then had to worry about how am I going to feed my family? What did that cost? With My Patriot Supply, they have the perfect food kit that millions of Americans have chosen to prepare for disasters, including hurricanes and earthquakes and fires and everything else. It's really easy to store. It's easy to grab and go. This week, their popular four-week emergency food supply is back for only $99. That's a low price for security for your family, and it's shipped free and discreetly to your door. So take action and become the first responder at 800-200-7163, 800-200-7163, or go online at preparewithglenn.com. That's preparewithglenn.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Back. New documentary called The Devil and Father of Mort. It is a, a real life exorcism uh, that uh, has been documented now by the the uh, director of The Exorcist. Um, and uh, he's joining us now, Bill uh, Friedkin. Bill, can, can you tell us? I mean, it's hard in four minutes, but can you tell us what happened, what it was like? Well, the subject was a 46-year-old Italian woman. She, was an ar- she is an architect, but she couldn't work because she was having these fits and personality changes and uh, was in great pain. And what I filmed was her ninth exorcism. She had one a month for the preceding eight months, and they were not successful, which is often the case. I mean, it could go on for years as psychiatry does. And when she appeared in the room, I thought she was totally normal. The atmosphere in the room was very strange and very tense. And, uh, it, and she came in and seemed, well, I wondered what the heck she was doing there. She seemed totally normal to me. And then the exorcism began, and she began a complete alteration of personality. It took five guys to hold her down. She was able to speak and respond in Latin, which she had never studied. She had a voice that's similar to the one that's in my film, The Exorcist. She had never seen The Exorcist, nor had her family. They were in the room. They were aware of it, but had never seen it. And this behavior was just shocking to me and and disturbing. And gradually it morphed into empathy for her because she was in great pain and suffering during the ritual. So what brought that on? What did, 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 we don't know, Glenn. No, we but I mean, I mean, what did, 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 did Father Amort call that out or? Yeah. Yes. What <clears throat> the Roman ritual of exorcism is, is a call by the priest to Jesus to perform the exorcism. They, they don't believe that they're doing it themselves. 
the, the very few priests who are ever able to perform one. They believe they're calling on the power of Christ. And ve- now, very few priests, bishops, cardinals, or even popes have ever performed an exorcism. John Paul II was an exorcist in Poland. He left three cases to Father Amort, one of whom Father Amort liberated, the other two he was still treating at the time of his death. Wow. And uh, very, very few people uh, have ever seen or would even perform an exorcism. I'm talking about very devoted priests. It, it's not the average part of, of, of the Roman ritual. I would imagine that you would have to be a pretty strong person to be able to face it all the time. Well, the Archbishop of Los Angeles, who I interviewed for this documentary, said he couldn't do it. And I w- that was the most shocking thing I had heard. I said, but you, you believe you have the power of Christ. He said, yes, I do. You, you are a, a very whole, you can't get a lot higher than Archbishop. In the, he said, yes, that's true. He said, but I don't have the degree of faith that Father Amort had to be able to perform an exorcism. He says that flat out in, in the documentary. What do you, Bill, what do you hope to, uh, the message is that the people take from this? We have 30 I seconds. I don't try to send messages, Glenn. I just try to share with audiences the things that interest me, the things that uh, I question, the things that I'm curious about, and when I'm able to film them, I want to share them. Wow. That's it. What a great... I don't, I don't have a message. <laughs> what a great answer. William uh, Friedkin, Bill Friedkin, uh, the new movie is out. It is called The Devil and Father Amort. It is a documentary. It's, it's not fiction, uh, and it's available everywhere. Glenn Beck, Mercury. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. It's been a fascinating show today. Uh, we had in hour number two, we had a uh, guest who is a who who runs the oldest American Catholic newspaper, um, talking about Pope Francis. And I just wanted to know what's he doing in China? Because Pope Francis, a lot of people are saying that he's getting the the underground church killed or imprisoned. Um, and shutting it down, and this guy tends to agree with that. Uh, what is the Pope doing in Russia with Putin becoming friends? What is he doing with the doctrine? Uh, he seems to be, you know, very anti-Western, you know, capitalism. It was an interest. If you're a Catholic, you should listen to that interview. It's a top of hour two. So second hour of uh, the podcast. And then we just had William Friedkin on, uh, who is the, you know, the um, director of The Exorcist. Oh, that was a scary movie. I still can't. I still can't finish it. Um, and I've he never, has ever watched that. Yeah. Oh, it's Oof. scary. No, thank you. You believe in that, right? Well, yeah. 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 That's too real. Yeah. That's uh, that's a movie I would never see. So he just made the movie because remember he made the French Connection. I mean, he was big in the day. Yeah, he, he made that movie, and you're old enough to remember. Remember, people were throwing up in mm-hmm. the movie theaters, mm-hmm. and they were claiming they were possessed. 
Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. I mean, it was a movie. Can you name another? Can you name another movie that had that kind of impact? Not with that kind. No. Uh, I mean, it was. Not with the bad stuff afterward. I, I can't think of one. Because there were a lot of reports. And, and I don't know if it was mostly hype. You know, it might have been yeah, some hype. Could have been. But there was a lot of reports of people being possessed after watching the movie. And uh, I don't know. I just didn't want to. Yeah, take was, any chance on that. Yeah, it was it was <laughs> it is a terrifying movie. Anyway, he's he's just made another one, uh, and this is just a documentary of an actual exorcism. And uh, you know, he's like, I I don't know what to believe, but it was so he filmed an actual exorcism the with the with the papal uh. exorcist. The guy's been doing it. He's the only one that the Vatican allows to do it. Oh. Uh, and uh, he there's just, only one guy in the world who does that. For the for, yeah, for the for the Catholic Church, I huh. think, yeah, uh, and uh, it, it, I mean, you should you should talk to him. It's it's pretty intense. It's Did, pretty intense. And he filmed it. He filmed it. Said had he had, he said I wondered when she came in. What you know? What her problem is? She's an architect, and he said she came in. She sat down, and she's been going through these sessions with this with this priest, and everybody was in around and praying and stuff, and he starts in and calls the spirit out and he said it was shocking he said i was two feet from her and i was absolutely terrified <laughs> wow yeah it's and that's the director of the exorcist yeah yeah <laughs> he said i wouldn't make the exorcist did he believe in this stuff before no I and he, he believes in it now yeah he's really like i'm yeah. not sure what to believe he he's even after him. seeing that he still he said i sure don't he know what it is he said nobody knows what it is uh-huh. he said um you know, he said, you know, he, he wrote an article about how Jesus did this, how Jesus drove devils out of people. Uh-huh. Uh, and so it sounds to me that he is a spiritual man who tends to believe this, um, but he is not willing to he's not willing to endorse it. He took it to um, he took this person to a psychiatrist at Columbia University they had no idea he they did a brain scan of this person while they're in the fit and you can see the brain lighting up and the brain the brain surgeons were like i no idea there's nothing we i don't know what that is wow yeah that's so, pretty that's amazing scary stuff it is scary <laughs> scary stuff. it is scary yeah, it kind of makes the rest of the news seem like okay yeah, yeah. You know, oh, like, there's oh. a white house correspondent there with some bad jokes <laughs> yeah. Like, you're like, ah, yeah, but i'm not yeah. possessed yeah. right, <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> yeah devil's devil's not living inside of me so i think i'm okay <laughs> it does put things into perspective it does. doesn't it? it does yeah. yeah you know nobody in my house is going and i'm going to eat you <laughs> <laughs> so i think that's good that is good uh the the response to the White House correspondence dinner has been interesting to me. How long have we said, shut this stupid thing down? Yeah. Just stop doing it. And that's one of the things I really respect about Trump is he doesn't bother with this nonsense. Two years in a row, he's like, no, thank you. No, nah, I'm not going to do it. Which is what Bush should have done. Mm-hmm. It's what they all should have done, but they, they don't. And so every year there's a big to-do about it and... uh well, I don't know if I don't know if during the time of Reagan, it was necessary to shut it down. I mean, it I don't probably like wasn't it. as nasty. Yeah, then. I don't. I don't like the idea of the press hobnobbing with 
Congress and the people they're supposed to be watching. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the prisoners are like, hey, we're going to have a picnic and get to know the guards. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. It's um, Jonah Goldberg. I think I don't know if he said it on the air here, but it's in his book, uh, an anecdote that he talks about with his dad. And, and people talk about how um, money is the is the way that you'd win someone over, or like the thing that corrupts most. And he said, no, it's not money. It's friendship. Mm. If some if you if someone calls you up and says, hey, my uh, underachieving son uh, needs a job and he's a real screw up. Uh, can I pay you ten thousand dollars to give him a job? And it was someone you didn't know. Mm-hmm. You'd, of course, say no immediately. But if someone called you up who was a friend of yours and said, oh, my underachieving kid, he's kind of a screw up, but he really needs a job, really needs a hands out and offers you no money. You're much more likely to say yes to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the problem. The biggest problem with the White House correspondent. I give you Orrin Hatch. Ted Kennedy. Yeah. That friendship. How much did that friendship that, screw up our country? Oh, I think a lot. I, I think a ton. Because Warren know. Hatch in, what, 1893 was good. Yeah, he, he was, was moderate in 1893. 1843 is <laughs> <was> pretty good. <laughs> okay, so when he first got in, <laughs> yeah. in 1843. When he first got in, he ran against Ted Kennedy's policies and he called him out by name as he was running for office. Then... They're best buds, and they're working on policy together. How does that work? I mean, we all want, I guess, to get along and, and to work together, but you don't want to work together on progressive issues. Yeah, you're gonna, you're just gonna make it. No, I don't you're have gonna a compr- problem. Compromise yourself right out of your principles. Yeah, I don't have a problem with the people in Congress making relationships and becoming friends as long as yeah. your principles are aligned principles yes. not policy your principles are aligned right uh i don't think orrin hatch's principles were aligned at the beginning with with ted kennedy not at all uh i mean in any way shape or form uh, my problem is the press is supposed to be adversarial mm-hmm. and they're literally sleeping together mm-hmm. they're literally in bed with each other mm-hmm. well that's no no. I mean, if you have a relationship with a politician, can you read uh, that thing you were reading to me from the New York Times today? Oh, uh, listen to this. So, so we were talking about Benjamin Netanyahu and how the press, you know, they're not talking about, uh, you know, Iran in the same way. Mm-hmm. Here's all this stuff. And they're like, oh, it's old news. That's just Benjamin Netanyahu. No, no, it's not. What is it that you guys are failing to see? Listen to this. This is Ben Rhodes, uh, the aide to Obama, and the guy who did the messaging for the Iran deal, talking about the messaging of the Iran deal. Openly, Mm -hmm. on the record, to the New York Times. Listen to this. All these newspapers used to have foreign bureaus. Now they don't. They call us to explain to them what's happening in Moscow and Cairo. Most of the outlets are reporting on world events from Washington. The average reporter we talk to is 27 years old, and their only reporting consists of being around political campaigns. That's a sea change. They literally know nothing. In this <laughs> environment, Rhodes has become adept at ventri- ventriloquize. Well, I'm not going to be able to say that word. Many people at once. Ned Price, Rhodes' assistant, gave me a primer on how it's done. We have our compadres. I'll reach out to a couple people. Uh, I wouldn't want to name them. And the reporter says, well, I can name them. And I'll say, hey, look at some of these uh, spinning this narrative. This is a sign of American weakness, he continued. But in fact, it's a sign of strength, I said. I'll give them some color. And the next thing I know, lots of these guys are in the dot-com publishing space, and they have huge Twitter followings, and they'll be putting this message out on their own. Um, It goes on to say, uh, let's see if we can find the next clip we were talking about, Glenn. Um, 
uh, uh, when asked whether the prospect of this is, is something that scares him, he admitted that it does. I mean, I'd prefer a sober, reasoned public debate after which members of Congress reflect and take a vote, but that's impossible. Um, and he talks also about how he created an echo chamber. Uh, which Again, this is mm. the Obama guy who was in charge of spinning the Iranian deal. I mean, that's really uh, Rhodes War Room on Capitol Hill uh, work with reporters springs of last year. Legions of arms control experts began popping up at think tanks and on social media and then became key sources for hundreds of often clueless reporters. We created an echo chamber, he admitted when I asked him about the onslaught of freshly minted experts cheerleading for the deal, the Iran deal. They were saying things that validated what we had given them to say. <laughs> Look at that. And we know that happened. It's just interesting to hear it coming from their own mouth. And on the record. On the record. record. In the New York Times. Yeah. And they and you wonder what's why you would be against the the White House press corps? Yeah. Because of this. You're being manipulated, you boobs. How do you not see it? (laughs) Yeah. And they and they don't see it. I mean They don't. They just Tr- they they trust. They well. They, they wanted want. to believe in Barack yeah. Obama so much. Mm-hmm. They they went through the whole all their schooling, everything they had been given in their entire careers was how people like Barack Obama are the right ones, and conservatives are wrong. And you know this is what they're they're at twenty seven years old. They come out with that, mm-hmm. and they're just like, oh yeah, well they're telling us the truth. And look at these evil conservative conspiracy people saying the opposite. And now conversely, out- they hate Trump so much mm-hmm. that it's just the opposite with him. Yeah. They, they they look for anything they can to to drag him down and and to hurt his hurt his uh, public opinion. I mean, With, you know what? I have to tell you, his trade war. You know, he's backed off again of yeah, the, the tariff. Mm-hmm. He may be as brilliant of a a global negotiator as I have ever seen. He, he may be. Well. I, I give it you works. because he's backed off of his trade. No, because it appears, mm-hmm. it appears that perhaps he's saying we're doing this, we're doing this, just to renegotiate all of these. He deals. always starts with super tough talk. North Korea is the same way. He was super tough on North Korea, and we felt like we were on the precipice of war with North Korea right. for a while. Mm-hmm. Now look what happened. Then he kind of steps back and. Let's things fall into place, and in in the case of North Korea, and maybe in the case of the trade war, uh, yeah. that it, it, it remains to be worked. it remains to be seen, and mm. probably won't be understood fully for another ten years. Mm-hmm. But there is a possibility that he is the guy that we have been looking for that would just say, "I'm not doing that. I'm just going to play my own game," and. Uh, and I'll show you how to negotiate and talk tough. It, it may I hope so. I hope so too. I hope so too. Either that or we're on our way to, you know, <laughs> Armageddon. To hell. <laughs> uh, one of the two. Thanks, Pat. Hey, by the way, say prayers for Pat tomorrow. He's going in under the knife. Uh, he had kidney failure uh, a couple of weeks ago and he's going back in for another surgery tomorrow. So please keep him in your prayers. And something bad could happen at any time, so you don't want to miss Pat oh, Gray no, Unleashed. No, no. This uh, may be his last show ever. It may be. It and may what's be. the last sentence he's going to say? It's I probably don't gonna know. Be profound. I don't know, but he's been thinking about it for his whole life. You shouldn't miss really. it. I'll tell you I, that. I wouldn't miss it. <laughs> On the Blaze Radio Network, theblaze.com. All right. You want your home sold? 
on time and for the most amount of money. I got the real estate agent for you. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Lots of real estate agents have good ideas, but bottom, bottom line is they can't get the job done. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Find the greatest real estate agent in your town. Over a thousand agents all over America who are just like you. They're fans of the show. They sell. They share your sensibilities. They've all been vetted by my team, first for their principles, but then for their knowledge in your area, their skill, and their track record. That's why thousands of families that have already put realestateagentsitrust.com to the test have had remarkable results. Realestateagentsitrust.com. They've already helped families who are moving to another area, families who are taking care of their parents remotely, or just helping families get the most out of their home as quickly as possible. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. We can't, we can't, uh, we, we can't leave the show without rapper Daz Dillinger, uh, who, of course, we all know was part of Snoop Dogg's group in the 90s. Uh, he has uh, he has posted a video on social media calling for the Crips to um, uh, take care of Kanye. National alert. All the Crips out there, y'all f- Kanye up. You see them up on GP. We're going to show you how we come together and ride on your You know what I'm saying? So, better not ever see you in concert. Better not ever see you around the LBC. Better not ever see you around California. Stay in Calabasas. You hear me? Because we got a Crip alert for Kanye. You don't speak on Crip guys. We the Crip guys. You know what I'm saying? I really don't. Um, I'm sorry, but I really don't. Not aware of what you're saying. But no. isn't Calabasas in California? He said, <laughs> I don't know. I better not see you in California. Stay out of California. Stay in Calabasas, which it, is, I believe, still in California. <laughs> uh, yes. And uh, now it is not the, the LBC, however. What is the L- LBC? Long Beach. California. Long Beach, California. Mm-hmm. Um, which is that where the Crips live? Uh, apparently. In Long Beach. Yeah. So let's see. The, the drive is uh it's going to be about an hour from okay. the LBC to Calabasas. So is he what he's saying well, is in we, traffic? <laughs> well, yeah, it's true. An hour 28 with traffic. Okay, an right hour now. 28 with traffic. Nobody, I mean, <laughs> I mean even the Crips are like that's too far. That's too it's, far. That's too long. We prefer if you stayed about an hour 28 away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that was a nice request. Look, can you move a little closer? <laughs> can you just move a little closer cuz that's way too far out there. So, just want to leave you with that uh our shout out, our daily shout out to the Crips. <laughs> daily. Glenn Beck, Mercury.